All right. Well, good morning. Um, it's great to be with you again uh, today. We were here last year in November, came through. Um, my wife and I, uh, my wife's in Zambia. She actually flew out yesterday uh, to do a ladies' camp with um, one of our deacons from Wellington. And so she's in Lusaka for five days. And so I'm the one normally traveling. So it's quite strange to drop her at the airport. And for me to be at home, uh, it was quite strange, I must say. So it was strange for her as well. But, um, but it's really good to be with you this morning. It's really delightful just to see what God is doing in different congregations, you know. I've often said that Josh Jane, we're like a bit of a big, crazy Italian family. You've got like cousins and uncles and aunts all over the place in different congregations. And, you know, like what? I thought this is one. It is a local church, but we somehow connected uh, through being part of many congregations all over the Western Cape. And um, really is a privilege as we journey together uh, in it. So um, I'm... Um, yeah, I'm based in Wellington. I oversee a, a discipleship school, a TMT, as well as just um, traveling among churches, just teaching and just laying foundations and trying to yeah, come alongside lead elders and elders and churches just to really blow wind in sails. So I don't know if you're expecting God to do something this morning, but I want to trust that you would have an expectation. You know, that if you're feeling disturbed or disillusioned or even a bit hopeless, that God wants to come and breathe courage into you this morning. He wants to bring faith into you this morning as you look to his son. And maybe if you're feeling comfortable today, I, I trust that you would get, um, what's the word, that God would disturb you if you're comfortable here this morning. Uh, there was, someone once said that preaching disturbs the comfortable, comforts the disturbed. Um, Richard's probably shared that before. Being a good old preacher, I'm sure he's shared that one before. But I trust that that would be true for us today because we cannot stay the way we are. God would want to bring us so much into more. And um, yeah, and that's why I'm here. I'm here to disturb you and comfort you uh, in God this morning. Um, and so what I wanted to do is I wanted to share this morning on training for godliness, of training to be godly. And um, I, just to follow up, I know Richard's been doing a series on growth, growing in God, I think. Um, if I have that correct, and I want to jump off the back of that, and an aspect of growing in God. Now, let me just start off by saying we're going to look at a scripture in 1 Timothy 4. I really just want to unpack two simple little verses, one section primarily, just really unpack that and just bring one truth home today for us this morning. But, you know, I don't know if any of you a month ago were watching on TV this great sporting event called Wimbledon. Uh, some of you might be tennis fans. I play a lot of tennis. I'm a member at the club in Wellington. I love the game of tennis. Grew up playing tennis with my twin brother. And, um, you know, watching Wimbledon uh, a month ago, if any of you watch it on grass, tennis is that game with a little green ball. It's round. It's not over, you know. And, um, and watching that game, you know, you're watching world-class players playing the game of tennis. And those players became world-class, not because they woke up in the morning and decided to become world-class or because they were talented enough. Um, now, imagine me watching Wimbledon, you know, watch the game, watch the final. Uh, who won? Alcaraz, not Alcatraz. Um, as he won the, you know, he won the final, and I'm inspired. Now, in our club in Wellington, we have a player. He's the number one ranked player on the side. I've played against him before. He's exceptionally good, and he normally beats me. If I get a couple of games of him, I'm doing well. 
and uh, he beats me handily. But let's say after the final at Wimbledon, I've watched the final, and I'm so inspired. It's like, you know, I've watched Alcaraz, this young guy, just win um, and, and beat the old dog. Uh, and I'm just inspired. And I decide I'm going to phone the number one seed. His name is Masi. I'm going to phone him, and I'm going to challenge him to a game. But I'm first going to look in the mirror and say, Mike, today you are going to be world class. And I look in the mirror and I speak it over myself and say, today you are going to become the number one seed of the club. And I look in the mirror and say, you can do it. You can believe in yourself. And then I go out there and I play against him. How do you think I will do? I can tell you I will lose badly. Okay? Some of you thought you are going to win. No, I'm not. And somehow we think, and there's a, sometimes even a, a, a teaching in the church, if you've been a Christian for a period of time, you might have come across this, that if you just speak things into being, that somehow you will become that. You'll fall into it. And you know, we somehow have a thinking, even in charismatic churches, is, and I love the Spirit of God. I love the work of the Holy Spirit. I think we need more of the work of the Spirit and, and to be hungry for God. But, but one experience or one touch does not make you someone who's godly or make you someone to be a man of God or a woman of God, that there's actually, the Bible speaks about training that's involved to grow up into God, to grow up into the ways of the Lord and um, involves training. And I, in, in light of that, I want us to look at 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. Then I want to bring out three simple points for us this morning. 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, and says to him, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Right, so the first point I want to bring out this morning is that Paul is giving an aim to Timothy. And he says, I want to train you, but I want to train you for godliness. That's the aim. The aim for us as Christians today, as we apply this to us, is godliness. In other words, that um, the, the aim to grow as a Christian is not to grow in goodness, to be good. And I know many people today are like, I want to be a good person. No, 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 no. Being good has no eternal value in and of itself. The aim is to be, he says, godly. What is godliness? And godliness is, is a kind of character, definitely here in the original language. It actually speaks of, of an actual character of being a person of substance that reflects and looks something like Jesus himself. Um, that, 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 that is reflected in the way that you speak, in the way that you act, in the way that you engage with people in your desires before God, that you're shaped to be someone who actually becomes a man of God or a woman of God in the way that we actually live, in the nitty-gritty, the nitty-gritty of life, um, of, of real maturity in the Lord. That's what it means to be godly, um, to focus on. And you know, it's interesting, in the New Testament has a number of lists that mentions, um, because the New Testament gets very practical. It doesn't let us get away with a kind of superficial spirituality, you know, where we can kind of pretend to be spiritual or pretend to be godly. Like if you quote enough scripture or you kind of sing enough worship songs or you listen to enough worship music or you have enough Christian verses in your home or on your fridge, 
that somehow you'll kind of stumble into godliness. No, 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 no. The New Testament makes it very clear that, 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 that it shows us what it actually looks like. And we've got scriptures like 1 Timothy 3, 2 to 3, and um, there's a number of lists. That's one example where, where it says that if someone wants to become an elder or a leader in the church, it actually lists specific qualities of becoming a godly person. And these are some of these things it mentions. And I want again, the aim is godliness. And look what it says. It says the overseer must be above reproach. Don't you love that? What does that mean? It's like a big word, above reproach. You know, it sounds cool, but what does it mean? It means blameless. It means that if you want to become godly, there's a sense that if our aim is godliness, that means that within us, that God doesn't want us to have skeletons in our closet. He doesn't want you to have a stain on your character that, that what you are to outsiders and what you are to the world is what you are at home. That, that no one can point a finger at you saying, oh, you're just a hypocrite because you say one thing but you live another. Blameless. And it mentions these real qualities that we call to have as Christians. Now, you say, but Mike, these are actually for elders, right? I mean, it goes through them. Husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, not gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And you say, but yeah, yeah, but that's for the elders. Does it mean that the rest of us can be violent and quarrelsome? Does it mean that you can get drunk all the time? No. It's just simply a, a, an example that as these men, and along with their wives and other leaders here, they're saying, come, this is what it means to be godly. Follow me, and, and it's setting an example for us to follow. You've got other scriptures, um, like in James 3, 17 to 18. Um, again, it speaks about the wisdom from above, another list. And I love this list because, again, this list just practically explains that if you want to be someone who's wise, but not a kind of worldly wisdom, a worldly kind of goodness, but from above, he says... There's no jealousy or selfish ambition. And he mentions here, it's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Those are signs of godliness, signs of it. And I want to encourage you, maybe for homework, I'm going to give you some homework now. I'm a, I'm a teacher, that's what I do. Go back sometime in the next day or two and go and read Titus chapter 1 and Titus chapter 2. And in those two chapters, it mentions, it's got lists for older men and older women. It's also got for elders, older men, older women, younger men and younger women. And it mentions kind of lists of what a person of God should look like in the Lord as you grow up into him. And so, my friends, what is the aim? Is that God would want us, that, that our great aim in life is actually like, I want to be godly. I, wanna, I want my legacy to be one of godliness. I want that one day when I die, and I, you know, if Jesus doesn't come back before then, but if I die, and my family and my friends remember me, what am I going to leave them? What am I going to leave my children? What am I going to leave my friends? Am I, am I going to leave wealth, money? Am, am I going to be chasing status, position? Or actually, am I someone that desperately is, is over the years grown up into be a man that simply loves the Lord? And one day that your children will look back and say, that man or that woman was a person that, that was, that, that just, their legacy was that they were a person of character 
that put Jesus first of everything. They loved his people and they loved him. I'm telling you, that is the greatest legacy that we could ever leave. And I actually felt this morning, in praying for this morning, that there are some of you here that have got caught up into status and got caught up into maybe chasing a position or chasing after the things of this world. But actually, the Bible says that the, things, the love of money is a snare. But Paul here, is, is, his command to Timothy is godliness. I want to ask you, what is your aim in life? What is your 10-year plan? The top of that plan should say to be a man of God or to be a woman of God. You say, hey man, I just want to get to Friday. <laughs> so a meme recently, it says, what is your five-year plan? And then the guy was standing there, just get me to Friday, you know? <laughs> but actually, this great goal that fuels us, the training for godliness, Amen. And I feel like it's something that, again, it's just a simple reminder of what we are called to be as Christians um, that defines us as his children. The second thing that we find in this passage in 1 Timothy 4 is he says, train yourself for godliness, right? So here's the part now where it speaks of actual training. And it's interesting that that word train, it means Literally, in the Greek, the, the, the Greek word speaks of working out in the gymnasium. That's what it speaks of, working out. And in ancient Greek and Roman times, especially from the Greeks, in the towns that they built, in the cities they built, they built their towns centered around a series of buildings that were called the gymnasiums. And every young man and every young woman, as part of their education, would go to the gymnasium. And the gymnasium was part school, where they would get a, 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 a mental education, they would get stretched mentally, intellectually, and it would be part physical training, where they would literally have to do you know, physical exercise every day in the gymnasium. And the entire town was built around the gymnasium, where it would actually raise up young men and women to become young men and women of the state. That the Romans, you know, the ideal Roman and Greek uh, citizen would look like a certain thing. But they had to go through the gymnasium. And Paul's playing on this word to say that in the same way that as you have to go through a process, through a school, to become a certain type of person. He's saying this, that you've got to train yourself through the gymnasium to become godly. To become a man or woman of God. In other words... And we don't always like to hear this, but there's a word that, that is associated with training. Those of you that might be into endurance sports or you, you train for a certain sport that you're into, the word is, here it is, discipline. <laughs> and somehow we don't like to hear that word in, in our circles anymore. It's like, no, you know, I just go as the Lord leads. And, you know, I, no, 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 no. There's a sense that Paul's saying, and if you look at his life, Discipline, sacrifice, cost, laying things aside in order for a greater goal, that I'm, I'm pushing aside these things so I can get that thing. And you know, these world-class tennis players, and, and I see it with the people that I see, they didn't become a world champion overnight. It took years of working on your forehand, working on your forehand, working on your backhand, working on those parts. And I think sometimes, again, 
in Christian circles, we some, somehow think that you kind of fall into godliness or you drift. And if you're just a Christian long enough, over time, somehow you're going to become this person who's, who's, who's mature in the Lord. Like you somehow become it, you know. And actually, we don't discount. And I want to say to you this, that there are great mature men and women of God, even here, that have walked with the Lord a long, a long time. But they, they had to make choices, daily choices, that involved choosing the Lord, sacrificing certain things, um, learning how to, even in the mundane. And you know, I know Will Murray, um, who, was, who passed away a few years ago, is one of our elders within us. He would say that, uh, you know, that he didn't glow in the dark and he didn't sleep with the angels. And I remember as a young Christian, I would always think like, oh, Look, you know, oh, those, those people on the stage or those that are preaching, you know, Andrew Selly and others, you know, you look at them and like, oh, you know, what do they do? Do they, do they sleep with the angels, you know? Do they wake up in the morning and, and, and the angels brought them a Bible, it's floating, you know? And they, and they sit and, and they sit before the word of God. You hear the, the angelic choir going, hallelujah, hallelujah. And they open up the Bible and just God's word comes alive to them, you know? Uh, or, or, or there's some type of, they don't struggle with sin like the rest of us or carnal desires that if we're honest, we all have those, those evil desires or we think about people that we shouldn't in an evil way. I want to say no. Every leader you see, the elders that you see have a nature just like ours, struggle just like ours. And I think we sometimes minimize these great men, maybe you've read a great, but in history, church history, great men and women of God who have done great things. You know, the William Carries that have broke open China. Um, uh, you think of, you know, the Billy Grahams of this world and the Amy Carmichaels of this world. And, but we somehow don't, we minimize the daily decisions and choices they made to train themselves into the Lord, into the ways of God, when no one sees. And so I want to say this. Simple things like this as we train ourselves for godliness. You know, sometimes these are daily decisions we make to choose Jesus and not choose comfort. Another one simple thing that I've struggled with over the years, and I have got getting it right, but not always, is the idea of even just getting up early to read my Bible and to spend time with the Lord. And I know what it's like in winter when I, that pillow is on me and my alarm goes off, you know, in the morning. It's dark. Dan, dan, dan. Switch my alarm off. And my pillow's saying, Mike, don't let me go. <laughs> you know, my, my duvet is over me, and, and, and I know it's like, I don't want to let this, if, I, if I've got to pull it off. But my nature, everything in me is screaming, don't get out of bed. It's comfortable. It's warm. And I've got to actually, like, ah, pull you off. Get off me in Jesus' name, you know. <laughs> and I've got to, like, get out of bed. And, and I do not feel like getting up to pray. Most mornings, I do not get a, feel like praying or reading my Bible. I do not. I beat my body. I have to say, Mike, today you will read your Bible. You will get up and you will choose to love Jesus. I don't, ever, I don't wake up just like, the Lord is good and he is faithful. <laughs> you know? Like somehow we think, you know, are you? no, I, we, I struggle just as much as you. And, and, and those days when you get up early and, and you know as you consistently do that, what are you doing when you say, Lord, I choose you. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose your word. I'm going to set my day aside to, to put the kingdom of, uh, first and put the king, you know, in his rightful place in my family, in my life. What are you doing? You're working out in the gymnasium. You're working out in the gymnasium. You're building character in the Lord. Well, there's times when 
um, you know, that maybe the Lord has asked you to fast for the day. I know we're actually calling a fast in the middle of August for Jonathan Conrath coming for our evangelism time together. We actually, fasting is, uh, Andre didn't mention that, <laughs> but we will be doing that in a few weeks' time. And we would want every single one of you to fast with us. Now, those of you that have fasted before, I mean, whether it's a day or three days or a week or whatever, fasting is hard. And I remember those days where you commit to fast, and then as you, you go without food, you know, it's like you walk past the fridge, and the fridge is calling your name. And you know inside the fridge, you've, you've kept that one piece of chocolate cake that you'd left over from a couple of days before, and somehow that day, that cake is just, it, it's just drawing you, man. It's just calling you. It's like, and, and, and that, that the ability to say, no, I'm gonna, not going to eat, I'm going to Give myself to God for this day. What are you doing? You're working out of the gymnasium. You're building character. Or the times where maybe as a guy, and I want to say guys generally are very aware of the opposite sex, aware of uh, beautiful ladies walking down the road. And if you're a guy and you're walking down the road and there's this beautiful lady walking past, and again, I'm just, as a guy, I'm saying this. I know ladies would have their, and this beautiful lady walks down the past, and I know maybe in your BC days you would have turned around and looked and undressed her with your eyes. But now you're like, no, I don't do that. And the ability to not do that, not look twice, you're building character. You're building purity in your life. You're saying, Jesus, keep me pure. Keep me not looking at things that I shouldn't do. What are you doing? Training for godliness. My friends, those are things we minimize and discount, but it's those battles that actually work us into, we can do it. You can do it. Sometimes in the last one I'll share is, let's say coming to church, where, you know, we've all had those mornings. We often feel like that, like, oh, I really don't feel like going to community or don't feel like going to a Sunday service. Okay, I'm probably the only one that probably feels like that then. <laughs> like, to be with the people of God, you know, sometimes it's wonderful, but other times, like, I really don't want to go. I'm tired. I've had a busy week. You don't understand. I just need me time right now. Richard's speaking about we and me. I just need some of me, you know? And we, we, we kind of, we justified, and, but you know those days when we, we beat our flesh and we say, no, 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 I'm going to not forsake the gathering of the saints. I'm going to make sure I go and prioritize God's people. And as you go, those are often the best times, aren't they? Times that God meets with you in the most powerful way. But you're growing, you're training yourself for godliness. And so I want to ask you, what, what today maybe is the Lord convicting you of what is there that the Holy Spirit is maybe touching in your life right now that he's convicting you on that maybe you need to let go of? That's hindering you in your race of faith for the Lord? Might not be a sin, but it might be like Hebrews 12 says, it might be a weight that is actually disqualifying you from becoming what God has for you. And I'm not just talking about doing certain things. I'm talking about becoming a certain kind of person that glorifies God, becomes a person of character. And I want to say that if you are ignoring that voice, the prodding of the Spirit that is convicting you and speaking to you, my friend, if you are ignoring that voice, what happens is we begin to harden our hearts. Watch out for the deceitfulness of sin. And if we harden our hearts, woe to you. We cannot afford to do that. We have to say, soft, Lord, search me, O God. I've got to train myself in these things. Now, by the way, this isn't for leaders. This isn't a leader's message. 
This is for the youngest believer in the faith. This is the standard, as simple as it is, right? Now, don't get discouraged. I know some of you here are like, I can never do it. Tell me, can you get up, ever get up early in the morning? You can do it. Okay. You've just begun training yourself. You know, when you're watching Netflix, and let's say you, you, you're, watching, you're watching that series that you love, and you, you've watched the first episode, but you also know that you haven't read your Bible, and you really want to get into the Bible, and you need to connect with one person that you've been praying for, or whatever, or you, you want to meet with, and you watch one episode, ah, let me just watch another episode. For some of you, it might be just like, okay, I've watched two episodes, stop. You know, it goes, next episode, three, two, one, don't watch it, stop it. Just by doing that and getting into maybe what God wants you to do, you're, you're tra- you can do it. You train, for some of you, that's what it is, training yourself for godliness. Moving on to the third part. The third thing, so the first thing is that the aim here is that training for godliness. The second thing is of we train. There's, there's some type of discipline and daily action that's involved. And the third thing that I want to leave you with this morning is that we need to take ownership for being godly. And again, again, this is so simple. It says, train, and here's the word, yourself. Train yourself. And while we can have spiritual mentors and spiritual friends, and we have leaders in our lives that do influence us, and that's a good thing, the ownership, however, to grow in God ultimately is on you, is that you determine the way that you would want to grow to become a man or a woman of God. Nobody else. Train yourself for godliness. By the way, here's a question I want to ask you. What can stop you from growing in God? What force or power is powerful enough to stop you from actually becoming mature in the Lord? Is it the devil? Is the devil that powerful? Is it a, a boss from hell? that's crawled out the pit and somehow has become your boss? Is it a teacher at school who's made your life so miserable, or at university that's made your life so miserable that you think, I can't grow in God because I have that person in my life? Is it your husband or your wife that you think they're stopping me from growing in God? Is it your job? And what we do, my friend, is we lay excuses for not growing. We become victims. And Paul never does this, you know. What does Paul say to Timothy? He says, he doesn't say, Timothy, get rid of these things in your life first. He's saying, train yourself. Take ownership of your, of your walk with the Lord and begin to internalize and say, I will resolve. And in fact, this is the thing, the, somehow the mystery of God is, and I think it was prayed in the prayer meeting, you know, that, that, that part of becoming godly is that God puts you on a path of difficulty and trial in order to get you to the godliness is that he will put that difficult person in your life because that is the means of godliness, the means of becoming that. And so I want to say this, ultimately the only person who can stop you from becoming godly is you. So do you want it? Do you want it above all else? Are you desperate for it above all else? Are you like, um, who was it in the Old Testament that was desperate for the blessing of God above all else? Who was it? Jacob in the Old Testament. 
I love Jacob. Have I shared this before? I've probably shared this here. I'm not sure. I love Jacob. Jacob, by the way, was a deceiver and a swindler. And he even deceived his way to get the blessing of God initially, to get the birthright that he felt he wanted. But somehow God gave it to him. Why? He wanted it. He wanted it. And along the way, the Lord worked on his character. God, God put someone in his life who was also a deceiver and gave him a taste of his own medicine, his uncle Laban, <laughs> and began to shape him. And eventually, he meets with the Lord at the, the Jabbok River. You know, he meets with the Lord. He, he wrestles with the angel, and he comes to a point in his life where God actually dislocates his hip and changes his name from Jacob to Israel, prince with God. What happens is that he wanted, and he said at one point when he's wrestling with the angel, I will not let you go until you bless me. Don't you love that statement? Like, man, he wanted it. He's like, I want it above all else. I want, I, I want God. I want him. I want the blessing. And I think it's this thing that must define us, that, man, I want to grow in God. I don't want an obstacle. I don't want excuses. I'm not a victim. I'm not going to blame anything. I'm not going to blame my health or my time or my, no, 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 no. God, you use those things to shape me into what you want me to be. And when we do so, he's going to wrestle with you. And for some of you, he's going to have to dislocate your hip. He's going to have to break you. He's going to, in fact, with all of us, he does that. And you know, interesting with Jacob, for the rest of his life, he would have walked with a limp. He walked with a limp, as, as um, tradition tells us. He walked with a limp. Why? Because he bore within his body the brokenness, the sense that it wasn't about how great he was. He became prince with God, even through having been made broken. The ways of God are not our ways. They are tests that I think many of us have to pass, me included. I'm on a journey. I'm, I'm not standing up here this morning as one who has arrived. I'm on a journey just as you are. I'm facing my own tests and my own battles. I have to also repent of things and of laziness. I love comfort. I love, I, sometimes I realize that I put comfort above God. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in a family. I'm, I'm from a French background and I was born in the Seychelles. Some of you know that. I'm from the Seychelles. And the problem with Seychelles white people is that they just cruise. They just, it's somehow in my, in my, DNA that I like to, it's like sitting under palm trees all day and you want to eat the coconut and lie on the beach and, you know, just kind of let, and, and, and our forefathers were these lords of France the, and we had peasants working for us. We were feudal lords. And there's something in me that I want to be the feudal lord and I want the peasants to do the work and I want to sit back and be waited on. I struggle with that. I was like, God, there's in me a, a love of comfort that you've got to break. It's not of you, it's, it's stopping me from becoming what you've asked me to be. And I've got to train myself in you, and I've, I've got to want it. I've got to desire it. I've got to take ownership of, of my life. Amen? And so in closing, I, I want to read Psalm 139. Um, in fact, I wonder if I just, let me just read the rest of 1 Timothy 4, that section with you. And I want you to listen to the, the kind of the prayer and the desire of, of Paul for this young man, Timothy. And, and I actually trust that this would be for you today, that you'd hear it as words over your life, as you're, a, as you're walking in the ways of God. Um, 
let's read, I want to read the rest of from verse 7. I'm just going to read all the way down to verse 16. It says, Train yourself for godliness, for bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and we strive because we have a hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift which you have. That was what was spoken of, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Okay, that's for Timothy. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself. Are you keeping a close watch on yourself and on the teaching? Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And let me end actually with a, with a story. Then I, I won't do Psalm 139. It's just, I'm, I'm going to end with a story. So in, let me end with a, we started with tennis. I'm going to end with a tennis illustration. Um, now, as I mentioned, I played tennis. When I started playing tennis in grade six, I went for tennis lessons. And in grade seven, we had our end of year tennis tournament at the primary school that I was in, in Port Elizabeth, where I grew up. And I've got a twin brother. We both played a lot of tennis. And we thought that we were A-grade tennis players. In fact, we did so well that in the tennis tournament, my brother and I, my twin and I, got to the semifinals of the local primary school tennis tournament. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And we thought we were like, man, we have arrived, you know. But the problem is, is the number one seed and the number two seed in the school played for South Africa as juniors. And so I played the, the, the number two seed, and my brother, my twin brother, plays the number one seed, brother against brother, you know, two brothers facing off against each other in the semifinal of this gigantic, massive tournament with a whole crowd of about zero people watching. <laughs> and we're playing this semifinals, and we had prepared ourselves. This was the day we were going to show up, these A-grade tennis players, my brother and I, kind of just a little bit below Boris Becker in those days, we thought. So we go out and play. I lose six love, six love. My brother loses six one, six love. What happened? We realized that we were actually D grade tennis players. And we had come against A grade tennis players. And we, we left that place realizing that actually the standard is much, much higher and we had been exposed to A-grade players. I want to say two things in closing. Number one, there's only one perfect godly man. And we worship him. His name's Jesus. He's the only one that has passed every test, that has obeyed the Father perfectly. And what makes us saved is not that we have to white-knuckle it and work hard to impress God with our godliness. What saves us is that we accept his obedience, Romans 5 says, and we become saved 
because of faith in him. And in some ways, we never are A-grade. We'll never become, we're working towards that, that place of becoming like him. But Christianity is putting our faith in the one who's, who's perfect and godly in every way. And I just want to take the pressure off today to say, don't ever feel like you've got to white-knuckle it. That's not the ways of God. Part of his ways is saying, Lord, I surrender. I can't actually do this in my own strength. Being a Christian is impossible in my own strength. But because he lives in me, Lord, you can help me to learn to love you now that I've put my faith in you. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that God has called many of you here to become examples in the faith. To become these, you might not be A grade, but you might be A minus. You might be B, you might be someone that the Lord has called, and maybe some of you have kind of rested a bit on your laurels. And what he's got for you is kind of, you've just slipped back a bit. And he's asking you to enlighten as a response to who Jesus is, as a response to, to just to his magnificence and his worth. That again, we would just give ourselves into his purposes, into his plans for us this morning. But maybe you are here and you actually think, you've thought that Christianity is about trying hard and trying to please God by your own efforts. That is legalism. We cannot be saved by that. 